The following episode of An Evening at the Movies is brought to you by the I Did Not Make These Rankings Podcast Network. Masturbators, The Sip List, An Evening at the Movies, Crushgasm, and Love is Black all bring you this following episode. Thank you very much and have a nice day. Welcome back, everybody, to An Evening at the Movies, everybody's favorite movie-based podcast where, damn it, Harvey, we still eat stale popcorn and drink watered-down sodas and talk about all of our favorite movies and why we love them. But technically, I guess it wouldn't be Harvey's fault because I'm the one that came up with the stupid tagline and Harvey just holding my feet to the fire and making me occasionally eat the stale popcorn and drink the watered-down sodas for you guys. So no false advertisement on An Evening at the Movies. We try and deliver everything that we say. So, with that said, um, we are co-hostless today. Well, we're co-hostless until later this afternoon when 
I will be joined later today by Amanda, who she and I will be discussing the results from this week's round of the greatest Tom Hanks movie bracket of all time. We are down to the Elite Eight. So eight great Tom Hanks movies are moving on to next week. You'll have to tune in tonight to find out which movies those are. I'm not going to spoil it because that's just not my style. But for those of you who don't know, we are here today and joined by a first-time guest on the show. We are joined by Miss Thea, who I met through... Uh, Lisa and Aaron and Phil on, yeah, yeah, uh huh. Uh-huh. Great podcast. If you guys haven't checked that out, I highly recommend checking them out as well. Welcome to you. Hi, thank you. Not a problem. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Thea. Um, I um. I met Casey here through the fine folks at the Yeah Aha uh-huh podcast, Phil and Lisa and Aaron. Um, Casey invited me to come on and uh, do a movie with them, and I said absolutely. Um, I actually ended up meeting the Yeah Aha uh-huh folks because of my affiliation with the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast. Um, I am Admin Thea. I run their Facebook page. Um, post, you know, fun facts daily, you know, mostly daily people who have passed on and a fun little corner that we call the admin Thea's not dead yet report. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's an honor. And unfortunately, the movie we will be talking about actually does have, I guess you could say a late aspect to it as well. Um, yeah, fact that I will. Well, we were going to do this back in March when the 30th anniversary popped up, but March 31st this year, it was the 30th anniversary of Brandon Lee getting shot on the set of the movie we will be discussing today, The Crow. Yep. So, great movie. I it it goes back and forth between this and Star Wars and The Green Mile for me as my top 3 favorite meh. Yeah, top three favorite movies of all time with The Wizard of Oz being my honorable mention just because that was like the first movie I ever watched as a kid. Yeah, it's a top five for me too. Um, It's up there with um, American History X, The Green Mile, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, you know, and and I can, can I lump all of the John Wick movies as one? Yes, although I will very sorrowfully admit I have not seen John Wick 4 yet. Oh, you need to correct that. I do need to correct that because I was at the store last night and I happened to look up at the video section at Safeway and guess what they had a display of? John Wick 4! Yay! And I was like, I want to... Nope, payday's not until Tuesday. Yep, no, I hear you. And it's funny because... um, my boyfriend actually had me watch John Wick 1 back when John Wick 2 was coming out. And I thought I was doing the good girlfriend thing by sitting through the movie with him. And, uh, oh, my God, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. It was fantastic. It's like, I don't know. It's like UFC for me. I enjoy it. Wow. I know, right? 
I definitely would not have pegged you for e- being a fan of either of the two, which yeah, is not necessarily I, a bad thing. I don't like sports ball, but man, put two people in a ring to legally beat the snots out of each other. I'm, 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 all, I'm all about it. Though I've not been real happy with our latest, you know, round of fighters. Um, I feel like, you know, Donald Cerrone finally retired and that needed to happen. But he was he was my all time favorite male fighter. Um, Ronda Rousey was my favorite female fighter. I got to meet Ronda Rousey once. It was amazing. Um, But, you know, we'll see. As as any sport happens, it ebbs and flows. And you'll get used to my squirreling. Sorry, I do the squirrel thing just like Lisa. Oh, no, you're fine. (laughs) That was something I learned rather quickly two and a half years ago when I started the show. Yeah. It was um, the very first episode that myself and... um, my guest did was um, a discussion on the crow. So Mm -hmm. uh, that episode, when we recorded it, ran probably about two and a half hours. Oh my. Just, yeah. That's just talking about one movie. Um, But I mean, there was a lot of ums and ah, and stuff that definitely could, I think we cut it down to like an hour, ended up cutting it down to like an hour, just over, just right around that hour and a half window. Yeah. So, but, um, oh God, the first time Amanda and I recorded together was, <laughs> I think it was the second episode. Second episode we did Stand By Me. Ah, oh, good and movie. It, it would be one of my top three favorite Stephen King movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, probably number two behind the Green Mile. But, yeah. I mean, fun fact, uh, and there will be longtime listeners who do know the story, but we, I was still learning the whole recording thing. Yep. So Amanda recorded the episode for me on her laptop and was going to email it to me. We went through the whole episode, again, because I'd been on the SIP list a couple of times with her, and I knew we go long. Anyway, my first recording with her was like three and a half hours long. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. We, but we went through the whole episode. Stand by me was probably about two hours, two to 15, somewhere in that window. And mm-hmm. she didn't realize it, but when she had moved her legs, she had pulled the cord out of the wall on her laptop. Oh so no! We lost the whole freaking episode. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So, like two days later, we had to regroup everything and get it back together and re-record the episode. And I'm definitely one of those people that believes you can't just re-record something and capture that same magic again. Nope. And there was a lot of stuff in that Stand by Me episode that you can bring it back up again, but it's just not going to be the same because like you're talking about the being friends and coming of age and some of like the emotion with like the scene with river Phoenix and will Wheaton where river Phoenix is literally pouring out his soul about how everybody's looking down on him because of his family's past history and he'll never get a fair shake and blah, blah. And it's like, you, yeah. When you get that emotion, even from us talking about it, and then you just yeah, can't recapture that again the second time around. Sure. Oh no, I get it. 
So, yeah, good times. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we are here to discuss the 1994 amazing movie, The Crow. Yep. So really quick before we get going, The Crow released on May 13th, 1994, was directed by Alex... Proyas, I hate trying to pronounce that last name because I'm sure I probably screwed it up. It was distributed by Miramax Films, had a budget of $23 million, and made $94 million million at the box office. With a Rotten Tomato score of 84%. Which, Dang, that's pretty high. It is pretty high. The, we've had a run on the show lately where we've had stuff like this Wednesday's episode that's releasing. Uh, Amanda and I discussed uh, Mannequin. Okay. And yeah, Rotten Tomatoes had it listed at 20%. And we were like, um, no, that seems kind of low. Yeah. I remember uh, that movie. I mean, that was a great freaking movie. Yeah. There were some real gems from the 80s, man. I I am all about the 80s in every way, shape, or form. <laughs> so, you know, music, movies. I mean, some of my favorite authors' greatest books came out in the 80s, being the great Stephen King as well. So, um so, yeah, first question that we yep. always kind of sort of – it's kind of sort of a gimme question to get into, but what did you find most fascinating about this movie? I loved how dark it was. Yeah. I, love, I love how um, – I loved how, you know, that the crow, Eric, was the, the, the anti-hero. He was really my, I think my first real taste of the quote unquote anti-hero. Yeah. So that was definitely a big eye-opening life lesson. Yep. Um, And it, it makes me sad that he died in this movie because I would, I would love to have seen where he would have gone from there. I I personally am of the opinion that I think had Brandon not died on this movie, Mm -hmm. the direction that the franchise went with the sequels probably would not have been the same. And I don't necessarily want to be that guy who lambasts people, but at the same time, as much as I love this movie Mm -hmm. everything that came after Brandon and his performance is hot garbage in my opinion yeah I would love to have seen Brandon um, and uh, Iggy Pop that would have been great see and I think you probably could have gone that way with two just the storyline wouldn't have been exactly the same as it would have been no you almost kind of sort of make anthologize it because obviously Brandon's not there. Right. 
as iconic of a performance as he gave, you almost don't want to recast that yeah. character because anybody who gets recast in that role is going to get crucified for what they do with the role. And for sure. And even to the same extent, people who came in and played a different character in the subsequent movies got roasted for what they did in those, what, three movies that came afterwards? Yep. Oh, go figure. Um, yeah. Definitely the idea of the darkness of the movies definitely um, brought a very cold and real element to that story. Absolutely. I think I had seen an interview with Brandon a couple of years ago when I was preparing our first episode where he was talking about the light and the dark and the lack of color in the majority of the movie. Mm -hmm. And, but then he brought up the fact that um, like the flashbacks to like him and Shelly, mm -hmm. how, how you see like the reds and stuff like that. And that was yeah. kind of designed to, illustrate that okay this is obviously a flashback where you've got it's all about the life and love and all of that warmth and compassion and all of that and then back in the real world it's all dark and mysterious cold. And yeah cold and gloomy and all uh, really really very well done creatively and all of that. Um, so when it comes to the aspect of coming back from the dead to as um, Sarah, I, I was drawing a freaking blank. I'm like, um, Sarah said in the beginning, Sometimes the crow can come back to bring, put the wrong things right. Yep. So, obviously the movie is about justice for victims. Mm-hmm. Avenger. So, Avenger before Disney got their hands on Marvel. Yep. No offense to Disney, but Eric was the original Avenger. Yes. For sure. I don't remember where I was going with my question. That's why I kind of sort of went down that raw rabbit hole. Um, okay, well, I'll go down this road instead. Um, I think one of my favorite aspects of this and the storyline is... <laughs> I remember watching Brandon's final on-camera interview on yep. the special on the special features on the DVD, and yep. he talks about the fact that this type of character, you you can really take the gloves off and get your hands dirty playing this role, 
because there really is no true set of rules mm-hmm. to how somebody who comes back from the dead is going to behave in right this, in this matter. Yeah. So it allows you to be incredibly open and free with your performance almost to the same extent like other than this performance like one of my other favorite actors of all time being Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp likes to take liberties with his creativity and go places that other people don't tend to go yep so I tend to respect people who can do that with their acting a lot more because and it's no offense to other actors but some actors can do that and be very successful at it. Other actors can't. Right. So. Absolutely. And that's another whole rabbit hole I could go down as Johnny Depp. He's truly one of my favorite actors too. And him working with Tim Burton, get out of here. Nah, it's perfect. It's perfect. That would be the one thing that, and I, I've seen mixed reports on the sequel coming out next year. But I've heard reports that he's not, and I've also heard reports that Johnny is involved with the Beetlejuice sequel. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Especially with Michael Keaton being there. It's like... Yeah. Because Johnny being a part of the movie almost overshadows Michael Keaton then. Yeah, I don't think that's a good spot for Johnny. If you overshadow Michael Keaton, how can you overshadow Beetlejuice? Yeah. He, Beetlejuice is designed to be the character that out overshadows everybody. Yep. So. Um, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. I have high hopes. I have high hopes, but I also have a safety net underneath me that is there. Yep. Let my heart come crashing down. Yeah, that's true. I've also read the reports as to what the original sequel was supposed to be. What, 30 some odd years ago. Right. Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii. Yeah. And that yeah. was written and that was a Tim Burton written idea too. I know. And that's so weird because like he's normally a genius, but that doesn't work for me. But I digress. That could be another show. Definitely. Uh, yeah. We that was one of the first shows we did a couple years ago as well. But um well, okay, so you can't discuss this movie without discussing one of the greatest, and I'm going to label this as a secondary character, mm-hmm. but I mean, this quote-unquote secondary character is probably one of the greatest secondary characters of all time, and that would be the soundtrack to the movie thank you okay so Uh, yes we were not getting out of here before the end of this without discussing the soundtrack oh 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 oh. absolutely 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 and that just leads to the fact that um the this song this movie introduced me to the cure I got to see The Cure earlier this month for the first time and they did burn live And let me tell you, I had goosebumps all over. It was like, oh my God, it was so amazing. Yeah, this soundtrack is is something special. Yeah, I mean, 
there are great soundtracks out there from great movies. I will give mm-hmm. you. But this one for people our age. Yep. Oh my! I mean, it literally. The movie itself speaks to. I don't want to make it sound blasé, but like our people. Yeah, absolutely. The grunge, the punk, the the disenchanted, you know, for sure. The youth of the early 90s. Yep, for sure. And the soundtrack from literally start to finish, top to bottom. Amazing. Captured every aspect of that movie. I don't care if it's Burn. I don't care if it's the... Dead Souls. Dead Souls, It Can't Rain All the Time. Yep, The Big Empty. All of it. It's Wow, it's... I don't know all the history, how all of that came to pass and how every aspect of that soundtrack came to fruition, but whoever is responsible for putting that damn soundtrack together... They're a genius. Musical freaking genius. I will venture to say I will put them as a musical genius even above my favorite Tim Burton musical genius, Danny Elfman. Of course. He he is okay, that's another show we could do. Um <laughs> yeah. I love I love Danny Elfman. I love Oingo Boingo. Um there are two reasons that I was born ten years too late. And that is because I was not able to see the Ramones and I was not able to see Oingo Boingo. I should have been born in 67 instead of 77. And those are the reasons why. Yeah, well, I can definitely say I would fall into that category as well then because I should have probably then been born in 67 instead of 77 as well. Yeah. Because that, yeah, the Ramones, oh my God. Oingo Boingo. Um, Yeah, we've had discussions numerous i i get teased a lot from other people who have regularly been on the show about my quote-unquote unhealthy love of all things danny elfman i mean the guy can do no wrong no well there's a reason why he's one of the most sought after movie composers yep currently working i mean everybody not just tim burton wants to work with him yeah and, and and putting him with Tim Burton, in my opinion, was just like kismet. Ah. Two wackadoos, wackadoo geniuses together in film and mu- and music. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And to think it all started with Pee Wee and his big adventure. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I got to go quite a few years ago now. I don't know. Everything feels like it's a couple of years ago, but this was probably around like 2015 or 16. Um, they did a touring of the music of Danny Elfman and the films of Tim Burton. And I got mm. to go see it. Um, sadly, Elfman didn't show up at ours, but he did show up at a lot of them. Um, but he did not make the Denver appearance, but it was so incredible though, to have like the Colorado symphony you know, the films playing in the background, the music. It was yeah. awesome. Mars Attacks with the theremin. It was just awesome. And he has such a distinct sound, too. I mean, yep. never, I mean, 
I will say, honestly, I had never up until probably 10, 15 years ago had thought about the fact that Tim Burton and Danny Elfman were responsible for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. And then for some reason I happened to, I think I caught it on like HBO or Showtime or whatever. Mm-hmm. I happened to see in the credit music by Danny Elfman. I'm like, wait, what? I'm thinking about it while the credits are rolling, and it's like, yeah, I did. It, the music is definitely a very Danny Elfman esque music. Yep. And then the credits end with directed by, and Tim Burton's name pops up on the freaking screen. I'm like, oh okay. my god! Uh huh. Like, this movie screams Tim Burton, only not as dark and shadowy as most Tim Burton movies. I mean, once Tim Burton really got into the whole, like, he got the Batman movies and all of the stuff that came around that time, Beetlejuice, yeah. Edward Scissor, I mean, you definitely get a very dark and shadowy Tim Burton feel to all of his movies from that point on. You don't necessarily get that in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but there's other aspects of his style that you do definitely pick up on. And it was very eye-opening to have that realization pop into my I love when stuff like that pops up when I'm watching a movie. Yeah, and, and to a lesser extent, you could include Big Fish in that category too. Because mm-hmm. that's not exactly. nearly as dark. I mean, it's still got dark aspects, but it's not, it's not the normal Tim Burton-esque kind of film. Yeah, no, exactly. And... I'm not. There is not very much that Tim Burton has done that I haven't. Oh my God, been in love with. For sure. I mean, I'm one of those people that I don't particularly care for it, but I have at least a you know minute amount of respect for his adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, for sure. I love it. Only for the pure fact that. You know, it tends to be a little bit more faithful to the original novel. Yep. Where, yes, the original Gene Wilder classic that everybody grew up on. Yeah. It 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 is what it is, and it's a classic, but it definitely is not a true faithful adaptation. No. Of Paul's book, and it seems the last probably. 10 years or so I've really gotten into and gotten developed the soapbox of being kind of a stickler for adaptations being faithful or not to the original movie. And sure. A lot of that probably stemmed from what Kubrick did to the shining Mm -hmm. and not that the shining Kubrick's vision is not a great movie. I will give him that. Sure. It's not the epic greatness that King put on the page for that novel. Right. So. If you ever make it out to Colorado, you've got to go to Estes Park and stay at um, the Stanley. That's only about an hour and a half from where I live. Bucket list item, big time. I mean, even. Even outside of the Stephen King tie to it, it's an amazing historic hotel. It's a beautiful area up there. Um, I've stayed there. 
you know, a couple times. It, it's amazing. I'm not going to lie. I have a fascination with all things paranormal. Yeah. So the Stanley has been on my bucket list of places to visit. Obviously for a very, very, very long time. And at one point, um, one of the last girlfriends that I was dating, she and I had talked about taking one of the next few summers and going on vacation and going down and seeing the Stanley just because of the significance of what that hotel is cinematically, literally, I mean, mm -hmm. technically the Stanley isn't as prevalent to Kubrick's movie as no. all of that, but it's still, it's the hotel that inspired everything that King did from writing the book, obviously turning it into the movie, then the miniseries, and then yeah, Dr. Sleep as well. And just so you know, you can actually stay in the room that, that King wrote The Shining in. <laughs> yep. And there's quite a few other um, other notorious rooms that are known for like paranormal activity and whatnot. But, you you know, you got to definitely plan ahead, you know, if you're going to get one of those rooms. But you can you can I want to say it's room 317. I could be wrong on that. Um, but you can stay in that room. That would. I. I would be so excited. I would not be able to sleep the whole time. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I, and I strongly recommend taking the tour because it's, there's a historical tour that they do. Oh, even um, well, it's a ghost and historical tour where they tell the history of the place and whatnot and all the notorious stories and so on that go along with it. It's well worth it. It's a beautiful place. Hashtag pushing it up to the top of my bucket list. Make it happen. <laughs> all right. So, so the crow, <laughs> I do have to say my, a couple of notes I made on this. Um, okay. number one, can we say Ernie Hudson? Love him. Got, er, I don't necessarily want to say Ernie stole the movie. No, say, cause I don't think anybody was stealing that movie away from Brandon. No, but I honestly would, probably put Ernie Hudson's performance in that movie. Yeah. Uh, he was so good. I might even put him ahead, honestly, of his performance in Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. I, I love Ghostbusters like there is no other. I mean, that was a classic. That was probably one of the first true horror movies that I ever saw as a kid. Yeah. And... Yeah, I love all yeah. four: Harold, Dan, Bill, Ernie, all of them. Oh yeah, Ghostbusters is amazing, but I loved Ernie Hudson in The Crow. And then my favorite line from Sarah of all of the lines that she's got in this movie, my favorite line from her is, "No onions, though they make you fart." <laughs> Big time. <laughs> yeah. That, first time I heard that line, that was about the time that I eating onions because they make you fart. 
Yeah, I just love that. I love that. I love that line. I loved her character. The relationship between Ernie and or Detective Albright and yep. Sarah is so freaking amazing. I mean, from that moment that she shows up at the scene of the crime, the night that Eric and Shelley get murdered. Yep. And, and he literally pulls her aside and he's trying to comfort her and, you know, your sister, she's going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. She's not my sister, you know. Yeah. You know, she just takes care of me. And, you know, they form that bond that, you know, it's almost like a father-daughter role, but not necessarily all the way like a father-daughter role. Yep. Yep, and it was really well done. I would imagine in that type of... I've never obviously had to be in that type of situation as right. a kid with a cop, but um, I can imagine after a certain amount of time that, you know, Sarah would just kind of sort of fade off into nothing and he'd move on with his life and whatever. But the whole basis of the movie is a year later. And he's yeah. still they're an active part of her life mm -hmm. helping her you know she he's almost stepping in and taking over that Shelly role because Shelly was the one who was there taking care of Sarah while her mom was being the absentee mom yep so Sarah doesn't have that anymore so he just steps in and naturally takes over because he knows Shelly's not there Sarah needs somebody to be there for her Sure. And he steps in and he's there for whenever she, you know, she needs dinner. He'll buy her a damn hot dog without freaking onions on it. Mm hmm. You know, whatever. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, when you time jump ahead a year, that also happens to be the day that Eric comes back from the dead. So not only does she have Ernie there helping take care of her, but now she's got her other bestie. Eric, yep. who, you know, the interesting part of that whole dynamic with, especially in the early stages of them being back, is even when he shows up and grabs her out of the street and pulls her out of the way of getting run over by the cab. Yep. She still doesn't see him. She knows that she got saved, but she doesn't see him. Right. And again, one of those topics that get, got brought up a lot in his publicity interviews, you know, you know, you have this aspect of everybody from Eric's life has had a year to grieve and move on and let go. But then, you know, he comes back from the dead and you have the moral question. Do you run around telling her, Hey, I'm back. Blah, 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 or do you want to just hold back and just, do what you need to do and not interfere with them and ultimately in the long run end up hurting them even more when you, you disappear to, again. Yeah. You have to go back. Yep. <coughs> so, I mean, it's all these different layers of stuff that it, especially the Brandon brought up in his interview that yep. just shows how in depth and focus he was on creating such an amazing character. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So another thing we, I want, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll let, I'll uh, let another, yeah. Another thing I was going to point out, Gabriel, the cat, I actually had a cat. I named Gabriel when I was in my early twenties after the cat in this movie. Did it look like the cat from the movie? No, but I named him Gabriel. That's okay, because I have a black cat that I named Vader, so... Aww. I named him after Darth Vader. Well, you don't say. Go figure. Um, the other aspect of the movie that... This movie is definitely one of the... We may as well just move into the whole quote aspect of the movie, because... To me, this movie is so insanely quotable. It yes. is fucking ridiculous. Um, yep. I think one of my favorite quotes... I can't... I, I won't even say favorite because there's so many great ones in this movie. But um, little things used to mean so much to Shelley. I used to think they were kind of trivial. Believe me, nothing is trivial. Yeah, that's a good one. Such an incredible lesson that people need to stop and realize. Yep. That all this little stuff that you take for granted. Yeah. It's easy to take advantage or take for granted and forget about it. But at the end of the day, if that's all taken away from you. Yep. It's like a big piece of your soul is being ripped out. and For sure. Um, same scene. I love the fact when Ernie Hudson lights up a cigarette and Eric takes it away from him, takes a puff, and he's like, "These will kill you." Yep, yep. I love that too. Oh, speaking, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say how ironic the fact that a ghost coming back from the dead is smoking a cigarette and reminding you, "Hey, you shouldn't smoke these. They'll kill you." I loved that. It was the perfect amount of cheese. And speaking of cheese, can we talk about the pawn shop scene where he comes in and quotes the Raven? It was pure cheese and I'm here for it. I, it was cheese, but at the same time, it was amazingly perfect. Yeah, it was perfect cheese. Yeah, I... Oh, I get that whole. Each one of these is a life, a life you help destroy. And he's throwing the rings at Gideon. Yep. It's like, yeah, because if you think about it, Tintin literally has murdered and stolen stuff from all these people. Mm -hmm. He goes and pawns it all at Gideon's pawn shop. Yep. And Gideon is, you know, furthering you know, Tintin's life by buying it from him. So in a way he's aiding and abetting. Yep. So, you know, literally each one of those rings that he threw at him was a life, a life yeah. he helped destroy. Absolutely. Including, including the one that Eric stole back from him that belonged to him and Shelly. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I love how he's getting ready to leave the pawn shop and Gideon's all acting like he's badass. And you walk out of here, they're going to fucking erase your sorry ass. You're nothing but street. street. And yeah. he turns around. And, Is that gasoline? I smell. And he's like, Oh shit. Yep. 
because Eric had been dumping gasoline yeah. all over the freaking. So he w- ends up walking out the door and turning around and boom with a big ass mm-hmm. shotgun and blowing the pawn shop up. Yep. And, yeah. So one of my other favorite main favorite aspects or lines from the movie is the whole it can't rain all the time. Yes, absolutely. Because okay, for one, literally, I live in the Pacific Northwest and mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we get lambasted for all the time is the fact that supposedly it rains up here 340 days out of the year. Right. Which it doesn't. I mean, it is today, but it doesn't. Yeah. But at the same time, if you break it down metaphorically, though, you know, sometimes you get that feeling in your heart that, like, nothing you do is right. And yeah. everything is bad. And that negative, 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 negative. But for lack of a better term, it can't rain all the time. Mm-mm. Something good is going to happen to you. Don't give up. Keep That's right. Keep hope alive. Yep. And that's so, the under the undertow the undercurrent of the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially as far as like the whole Sarah aspect goes, because she has not had a great life at all. By no. her mom is <coughs> an well uh, absentee mom. She has an addict, a, a major drug addiction to yep. um, an unhealthy relationship with Fun Boy. Yep. Um, you know, thankfully, through the course of the revenge killings and all that, she happens into an encounter with Eric who opens her eyes to the fact that, you know, damn it, woman, you've got a daughter out there running around on the streets, freaking get your shit together and go help her, go be her with her, go be her mother. Yep. So, not necessarily a succinct part of his mission but obviously he loved Sarah enough that he had the moment to he's going to seize the day and at least hopefully try and get Sarah's mom to open her eyes and the next morning Sarah wakes up after listening to Eric's record and her mom's in the kitchen making eggs eggs yep did they grew it you used to like eggs, yeah, when I was five. Yeah. And truth be told, I mean, her mom, I mean, Sarah gives her mom a lot of shit in that scene and difficulty. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like she's earned the right to yes. be that disrespectful little shit. I mean, I don't recall ever hearing what I, I, mean, I would assume probably she's in that 13, 14 year old window. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. And truthfully, I would imagine probably the majority, if not all of her life, her mom has probably been that way. So, yeah, you can get heartbroken and jaded and not want to give somebody a second chance when they're trying 
to make amends for stupid shit that they've done before. Yeah, it takes time. It's not like yeah. you just wake up and everything's okay. No. It takes time. Uh, let's see. Was there... Is there uh, any particular lines in particular that really resonated with you? Um, well, the, the it can't rain all the time, of course. Yeah. Um, of course, I liked the one-liner cheese. The We talked about, you shouldn't smoke these, they'll kill you. And then one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he is where he's coming up and he just goes, boo. <laughs> it's just perfect. It's just perfect. Yeah, oh, yeah, when Ernie Hudson, when he shows up in Ernie's apartment and scares him and he's like, are you a ghost? And he leans out. And yep. Boo. Boo. Yeah, I love that. It well, was great. Technically, I mean, he is a ghost, but yeah, I can get why Ernie's a little bit confused and scared. Mm-hmm. Just pretty sure it's probably his first time encountering somebody who he knows good and hell well. Sure, died yeah. a year ago, and he's now he's standing in front of him again. Yep. The other thing I kind of liked too, it was like an hour and 11 minutes in. Let's talk about Michael Wincott as top dollar and his motivational speech with his crew. And then Eric walks in. Yes. The whole, he's building up and trying to get everybody fired up for the fact that, um, okay. Devil's night. Yep. October 30th. Yep. Is, has been, uh, hellaciously, I guess you could say evil night yeah. historically. And it seems like the last few years, according to his pep talk, that it's kind of sort of becoming very commercial. And, you know, like he says in the speech, they've even got devil's night greeting cards. Yes. <laughs> like this is not what devil's night is supposed to be. It's supposed to be oh. chaos, anarchy, fires, crime. What the hell? Pe I want you people to go out there and light the biggest fire and make people stand up and notice, are we having fun or what? Right. It was great. Sudden, that whole scene. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just hear gentlemen and Eric walks in through the freaking door and, He's like, oh, so it's you. Yeah. Lore of killers. Yeah, and I just think because of all of the history and lore with this movie <laughs> and the things that have happened, you know, obviously losing Brandon Lee, um, I, I think that Michael Wincott's performance as, as Top Dollar gets overlooked. He was an incredible villain. Truly an incredible villain. Yeah, I mean, this and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves both oh, came yeah. out right about the same time mm -hmm. and he was so brilliantly I mean Alan Rickman stole Prince Thieves yes what anybody says. absolutely he was the epitome of evil as Sheriff of Nottingham but as his right hand man though Michael Wincott was almost just as evil yeah so and then, yeah, at the same time, he kind of sort of blends that evilness with a kind of 
for lack of a better comparison, Michael Corleone-esque. Yep. Head of the family. Yep. Kind of. I mean, he's not necessarily as cool and calculated as Michael Corleone. No. But, but he's definitely evil and creepy and bangs his half-sister and and all that. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, you know, literally spooning eyeballs out of yeah. chick's face. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, even to the extent like that scene initially was storyline-wise designed to be the fact that Eric is showing up because Skank being the last of the what one, two, three, four people that killed him and Shelly. Yep. Is at said meeting and that's what he's there for is he's there to exact revenge on those four people. Mm-hmm. Skank is Skank is the only one left and Skank's running around hiding like a little bitch. Yep. And Eric finally gets a hold of him, and I love the part where he he grabs a hold of him, he's looking at him right dead in his face, and he's like, I guess it's not a good day to be a bad guy, huh, Skank? (laughs) Skank, last ditch effort, he's all like, I'm no Skank, that's Skank over there, Skank's dead. Yeah. And doesn't even phase it, he's like, yes, he is, and then literally takes and throws him out the freaking window. Yep, that was brilliant. Um, and then ultimately the final battle between uh, yeah, you get the um, top dollar and his half sister kidnapping Sarah so that they can do what needs needs to be done quote unquote to Eric mm-hmm. and, um Eric's in the process of saying his goodbyes at the cemetery and I'm guessing starting the process of going back and um, he hears Sarah cry for help and that battle between him and Top Dollar on top oh, yeah. of the church. Yep. Wow. I mean, was that was epic. It's especially considering the fact it really wasn't that long drawn out complicated of a fight but they very much did exactly what they needed to do yep compressed it into one probably five minute long if not even less than that fight scene and did what they needed to do and wrapped everything all up in a nice little pretty package with a bow package with a black and white bow because there's no color in the crow. Nope. 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 It was great. It didn't need to be any longer. Right. That's one thing I hate is when they drag that stuff out and it was just perfect the way they did it in the crow. Yeah. I've seen some of those like, like certain types of, and I'm not putting, but a prime example might be like Marvel or, you know, the DC movies or whatever, where that final battle, like, you know those movies run, you know, say two and a half to three hours long. You yeah. Know once you get to a certain point in the running time, it's like, okay, final battle time. And yep. normally it's, it's about a half an hour to 40 minutes away from the movie being too long. Yeah. You could have freaking probably cut 
at least 10 minutes out of this and made it a lot better. But it's all about the big booms and special effects and all of that. And the eye-popping eye candy. and Yeah. <coughs> Realistically, the crow did not need any of that. Nope. The story that they create. They really simplistically, I think probably the biggest special effects in that movie was Gideon's pawn shop blowing up. Yep. And then T-Bird's car blowing up with him. Oh, yeah. That was great. Taped up into, that was another one of those scenes that I really, really... That was probably my favorite death in the entire... No, I, I can't say that because all four of the damn gang members' deaths were... You had, uh, like my display name says, victims aren't we all, when yep. you stab Tintin. Yep. You had um, T-Bird taped up into the car mm -hmm. and literally screaming at Eric, this is the really, really, really real world. There ain't no coming back. Yeah. And then Eric drops a grenade in his lap and then hits the gear shifter and blows Off him up. Off he goes. Yeah. You have the um, stop me if you've heard this one. Jesus Christ walks into a hotel hands the innkeeper three nails and asks, can you put me up for the night? Because he kills fun boy. Yeah. That was another one of those. I probably didn't get the joke until I was like 30 years old. Yeah. Because truth be told, and I'm not putting anybody down by any stretch of the imagination. You're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. I'm just personally, I'm not an overly religious person. Me either. So, but I mean, fun boy's death was, Yeah. And then you have Skank's death, you know. Again, none of that, with the exception of those two explosions, really was a huge. And here lies the aspect that really pisses me off. Okay. They are, you literally have two. Not three, not four, not all these CGI freaking special effects. Mm-hmm. Two. Yep big payoff scenes special effects wise yep but yet you are and maybe this is just the studio being tight with money but you are so far quote unquote over budget that you've got to cut costs with making blanks and dummy rounds and shit for your yep. set Yep. And ultimately that laziness and that cheapness is what killed him. Is the reason why we do not have Brandon Lee here today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because I personally believe, and we talked about it the first time on the first episode, and then I will admit we did talk about it on the last episode as well, that this movie probably, yes, is would be considered an independent movie yeah. at the time. I mean, Miramax was not huge at the time. Nope. I mean, they, they were still a smaller studio. But I think had this movie... Again, the other aspect that concerns me as well is if Brandon hadn't died with this movie, we have gotten the success that it went... The $94 million 
of success that it got. Yeah. That have been there. I hope it would be. And I think you get that initial people going out and seeing it when it first comes out. Word of mouth would have spread as to how great it was. And then people still would have flocked to the movie. It may not have necessarily have done the $94 million. Right. But, you know, it would, I want to believe in my heart that it would have done, you know, 70 to 80 million. Yeah, I would think so. And by I think it would have still been successful. Yeah. And by that standard, I think had Brandon not been taken from the world mm-hmm. on March 31st, 1993, yep. that um, there was big things on the horizon that would have come for him. Maybe even to the extent more mainstream movie pictures, bigger studio pictures. I mean, we posed the question on the last episode too, as well. Um, the amount of charisma that Brandon Lee had as a person and as an actor together. Mm-hmm. Is there potentially the possibility that if he's not murdered on the set that day, that maybe he becomes even a bigger star in Hollywood than his own father even did? So I think he would have been bigger in his own right. Um, I don't think he, I don't think he ever would have overshadowed his dad because of just how illustrious his dad was. Um, I mean, Bruce Lee. Well, yeah. And I think that's basically what the consensus that we came to was. You're never going to completely overshadow Bruce Lee. Nope. I mean, there's Bruce Lee. And maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but as far as American martial art movies go, he is responsible for the surge of maybe Americanized martial art or the popularity of martial art movies in American cinema. Oh, sure. Um, not taking anything away from people like Jackie Chan and no everybody else that came along, but without Bruce Lee, I don't think actors like Jackie Chan and whoever else are going to get the credit that I agree. Absolutely. I was just going to say without Bruce Lee, there is no real Jackie Chan or any of that. Bruce Lee walked. So Jackie Chan could, run and do his own stunts and yep break every fucking bone in his body yeah that is love and dedication for the craft if you're willing to literally literally break every bone in your body to make a 90 minute movie yep my hats off to him as well jackie absolutely chan, i don't think jackie chan gets the credit that he deserves either but so Right. And and I don't think that Brandon Lee would have been like this martial arts hero, but I think he would have been a, a, an action star in his own right. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't know if he would have necessarily been the box office draw of an Arnold or a Sylvester Stallone, but no, I mean, I, he had a very potentially lucrative career ahead of him. Yep. 
and all because a movie studio, <coughs> stunt coordinators, and whoever the long chain of command of people involved in whatever goes. All because of that bit of laziness, you know, we never got to realize just exactly how great he really truly could have been. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and honestly, I'll be as, as I'll be as ballsy as to say, um, if you if you look at his comedic delivery on things, yeah. what would Deadpool have been had it been Brandon Lee instead? I mean, not to, I'm not throwing shade on Ryan Reynolds. He's, he's good. I love the Deadpool movies. Um, but just think about that. For those of you, cause we don't release video who can't see. I just made the biggest, oh shit face. I saw. You said that. Oh my, oh my God. That... Yeah. It's kind of mind boggling, isn't it? Wow. Hashtag recasting Deadpool. Yes. I will cast Brandon Lee in the lead role. Yep. And again, I'm not throwing shade at Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds does a great job, but just imagine that with, I imagine that with, with Brandon Lee. Yeah. No, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited for Deadpool three. Oh, me too. I love the Deadpool movies. <laughs> uh, you created a rabbit hole and now we're going to jump down that one. as well. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, no. We'll we'll stay on track. Um, uh, yep, those are those are movies that I really really love. And and I was going to say this earlier when we were talking about just like the gratuity gratuitousness of, you know, the big explosions and everything in most of the Marvel movies. And yeah, there's a little bit of that in Deadpool, but I don't think Deadpool goes too far. No, I think if Deadpool was to go too far, that takes kind of sort of the catty tongue in cheek side commentary that Ryan, Ryan Reynolds tends to make throughout the entire movie. Yep. It kind of sort of takes away from that. Yeah. So it's kind of like respect the damn cattiness and respect the tongue in cheek and mm -hmm. don't overdo it. Yep. Don't F with that. But yeah, you know, Deadpool is a freaking amazing franchise. And yeah, I had hopes going into seeing the first one. But I also had reservations that eh, it could flop as well. Thankfully it didn't. I think we, I was five minutes into seeing the first one and I'm like, Nope, this movie is freaking amazing. So, yep. Uh, uh, so did you have anything else in your notes that you wanted to bring up before we, get to our overall rating and review section of the show? Um, I wrote down an hour and 24 minutes in. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. And now I can't remember why. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, cop car in the high-speed chase. What the crap? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, of the language and everything else that's in this movie. And the cop says, what the crap? And does it a second time. That was uh, just one of those little things I picked up. I thought that was, was funny. It's such a dark, such a serious topic. Such a serious movie. 
but then yet it's so funny at times when little stuff like that pops up and you kind of sort of are left sitting there kind of sort of <laughs> yeah okay touche you got me yep it's so out of place that you're like huh <laughs> So, go ahead. Nope that's 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 what I had for notes. Okay. So, last up before we wrap up the episode, um, let's give our overall thoughts on the movie as a whole, and then go ahead and rate the movie out of five stars, and we'll see at the end how it all boils out. Okay. So ultimately a movie that hit at, at a time when I was a teenager and it was like the perfect thing to hit at the time. Um, so many things about this movie were just perfect for, for the early nineties. Um, just, and so many things were so creative about this movie for that time. You know, we discussed the whole feel and ambiance of it. Um, the the storytelling, the the comedic delivery in, in just the right times, just when the movie gets too heavy, there's something comedic that comes in. It's perfect. Um, I think that I think that they should have left it alone after this one and not gone on and made the sequels. Um, but Hollywood got a Hollywood, right? So um, yeah, yeah. And uh, just Ultimately, just truly one of my top five favorite movies of all time. I'm no professional critic or anything like that. I just always loved it. And the, the introduction to music, certain you know, bands through that, through that movie, I mean, it was just outstanding for me. I just loved it. I will second everything that Thea said. I mean, that movie completely and succinctly spoke to a generation. A generation of Gen Xers mm -hmm. who were living through the dark, broody, emotional, heavy crap of the early 90s. I mean, you have the death of Brandon in 93. You have Shortly before that, you had the death of River Phoenix. Yep. Um, short, shortly after, Brand uh, almost a year after Brandon's death, you had the Kurt Cobain suicide. You had the '90s was not a very fun time to be a Gen Xer. No, nope, it was rough. It was, and I'm not trying to say that other generations had it. No, it is what it is. Everybody, each generation has their dark moments and we accept that the but, looming impact let's just add this in there the looming impact of y2k you know overshadowing everything too yeah i mean yeah i mean it is definitely a very emo time for mm -hmm. a lot of people and this movie definitely captured all of that into a nice package with a again black and white bow and you know throw in that soundtrack with it on top of all of that and 
the performances from top to bottom, whether you're Brandon Lee, whether you're Ernie Hudson, whether you're Michael Wincott, whether you're, you know, any one of the four guys underneath um, top dollar. Um, Sarah, who, it, it, everything in that movie comes together, in my opinion, really, really well. And early on in the show, I you might consider the fact that I may have been a bastard for five out of five ratings. But and I have done better about not necessarily going to the perfection level with a lot of my reviews anymore, but I cannot in any uncertain terms go anything less than seven out of five stars on this movie. That's how much I love this movie. It's incredible. It is one of the greatest movies of all time. So I agree. uh, when you look at the whole package, man, you look at everything. You look at the cinematography. You look at the story. You look at the the music. the mystique, the music. You look at what happened. I, I have to agree. You know, seven out of five for me too. Yay! So we superseded the average score with a seven out of five. Yes. Yes. So, with all of that said. Um, I want to thank all the listeners for being here as we do each and every week. You guys are completely amazing. We love each and every one of you individually and as a whole. You guys are the reason why Amanda and I keep churning out episodes left and right. And we are slowly baby stepping our way through the tumbleweeds as we rapidly approach our 200th. Well, not rapid. It'll probably be end of the year, beginning of next year. but. 200th episode is coming fast, and we are currently brainstorming ideas for things to do for said episode. So stay tuned for that as well. As we get closer, we will be letting you know what we will be doing to celebrate because that is a huge milestone and is worthy of a huge celebration. Maybe we might be able to sync it up with our third anniversary in February and do both at the same time. That'd be cool. You don't know, but stay tuned and you will know. Um, Coming up, though, we've got um, mannequins coming up this week, as well as more results from the greatest Tom Hanks movie of all time tournament. Stay tuned as well. Looking forward to that. Please, 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 people keep voting for the Green Mile because it has a very tough opponent this week. And that's all I will say until that episode (laughs) releases. So, um, but Amanda and I also have a episode on from Justin to Kelly coming up because Kendra personally requested it. So we will do it because as you all know, we honor all requests just like, um, I've got a couple of movies that Harvey has requested that we'll be looking at as well. Um, We've got stuff coming up, and obviously, if you've been around for the last couple of years, you know September is Stephen King Birthday Bonanza Month, and October is Halloween Horror Fest. 
So stay tuned for all of those as well. And again, I would like to thank Thea for coming on and discussing this epic movie with us. Thanks for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it completely. And I would personally like to extend an open invitation. Sure. You would like to come back. If you Absolutely. Have an, idea, have an idea for a movie you would like to discuss. Cool. Possibly maybe say Deadpool. Yeah. Or it doesn't necessarily have to be whatever we like to allow our guests to have input as to what they might like to have. Hey, I can nerd out about Deadpool. I can nerd out about John Wick. Um, I will throw one that's a little more serious. A lot of people um, consider it a chick flick, but I think the underlying story of it is really, really, really important. Um, it's, it's called the divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. I Great movie. Not seen it. If it is requested and Thea would like to come on and discuss it, I will watch it and I will I'll do, do it. Prepare notes and prepare an amazing episode. And I'm, pretty sure for that episode we might be able to even get amanda in here with us cool yeah I'd, I'd love to do that i think it's kind of one of those sleeper movies that a lot of people missed or wrote it off it is it is kind of a chick flick i guess but you know the underlying story of it is more than that i think the beauty in my fascination with movies though is i don't the whole chick flick stuff I throw that boundary out the fucking window. Awesome. At the end of the day, a movie is a movie and it's a story and it's there to entertain and to have you possibly even educate yeah. and for you to enjoy. And there should be no gender barriers as to what you can't enjoy that movie because it's a chick flick or. Cool. I like that. Chicks can't enjoy. Deadpool or Superman or Batman. Or John Wick. I'll fight you. Don't John mess Wick. with my John Wick. Exactly. So, definitely. You are welcome to come back anytime you want. Thank you. Sisterhood or whatever you want to discuss, just let me awesome. know. Awesome. Yeah. We will gladly have you on anytime you want to come back. So Perfect. Thank you, thank you again for being here. And... This is weird because Amanda's not here. I'm having to do the closing signature and remember exactly what it is. We hope you guys come back for an evening at the movies. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, everybody. If the people we love are stolen from us, the way to have them live on is to never stop loving them. Buildings burn. People die. But real love is forever. Rest in peace, Brandon. We walk the narrow path. Thank you.
for it.